0: I'm Chelsea and I still love true crime
1: and I'm David and I still love horror movies and welcome to behind the screams this episode was originally created for our patreon listeners as an exclusive but since the show is on hiatus we thought it'd be a great way to give something new to most of you
0: we may have references to news events that are now far in the past and also the style of these former patreon episodes is a little different than our regular episodes but we hope you enjoy the show I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime.
1: And I'm David, and I love horror movies.
0: And this is the very first Patreon bonus episode for Based on a True Crime.
1: before we get to the topic, which was handpicked by you wonderful Patreon supporters, we just wanted to say thank you so much. And it means a lot that you value our work enough to want to support us.
0: Yes, we're so excited for um, all the future fun topics that we plan to cover with these Patreon bonus episodes, as well as maybe some additional bonus rewards and different sorts of content in the future. So definitely something to look forward to. Also, obviously, if you have any special requests, just let us know. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about Silence of the Lambs, which is one of my all-time favorite movies and I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast we also talked about Ed Gein before being the inspiration for some aspects of Buffalo Bill you know along with Ted Bundy obviously with his ruse for kidnapping women by pretending to be injured. Yep. Um, there's also John E. Douglas being a bit of the inspiration for Jack Crawford the character who's the head of the behavioral science unit in Thomas Harris's universe but this episode we're going to focus on Hannibal because He's Hannibal. (laughs) <laughs> so, the truth is that Hannibal was actually inspired by a real person, and this fact did not come to light until 2013, which was the 25th anniversary of the writing of the book Silence of the Lambs. So, let's get into this story.
1: In the early 1960s, Thomas Harris visited the Topo Chico Penitentiary in Monterey, Mexico to interview Dykes Eschew Simmons for Argosy, a pulp fiction magazine. Simmons was an American who was committed to a mental ward in the prison for a triple homicide. During the interview, Simmons described a near-death experience he had in prison. Simmons had bribed a guard to allow him to escape, but the guard double-crossed him, took his money, and then shot him as he was attempting to escape. Simmons told Harris that his life was saved by Dr. Trevino, a surgeon who was able to stop the bleeding and treat the gunshot wound. Harris had a chance to speak with Dr. Trevino, who he described as a, quote, small, lithe man and said that upon entering the meeting, quote, "...he stood very still, and there was a certain elegance about him. He invited me to sit." The pair spoke about Simmons, with Trevino quizzing him about his experience interviewing the man. He asked odd questions, like whether Harris thought the sunglasses Simmons wore made his disfigured face look more symmetrical, and whether Simmons turned his face away from Harris when they spoke. Much of the conversation centered around the perceived attractiveness of Simmons' victims versus the disfigured face of Simmons himself. Trevino asked whether he thought Simmons was tormented as a child, and later commented in response to Simmons' crime that, quote, early torment makes torment easily imagined, before adding, quote, you are a journalist, Mr. Harris, how would you put that in your journal? How do you treat the fear of torment in journalese? Might you say something snappy about torment like it puts the hell in hello? After this exchange, a prison guard came by to let Trevino know that he had patience and to escort Harris out. Before he left, Harris thanked Dr. Trevino and told him to reach out if he was ever traveling in Texas so that they could go get lunch or a drink, to which Trevino replied, quote, thank you Mr. Harris, certainly I will when next I travel. As he was leaving, Harris asked the guard how long Dr. Trevino had been working at the prison for. The guard replied, You don't know who that is? The doctor is a murderer. As a surgeon, he could package his victim in a surprisingly small box. He will never leave this place. He is insane.
0: That fateful meeting was recounted by Harris in 2013 in the prologue of the 25th anniversary re-release of his novel The Silence of the Lambs. In his published version of this story, he actually did not name Trevino. Instead, he referred to the mysterious man as Dr. Salazar. But it didn't take long for reporters to track down the killer who inspired the creation of Hannibal Lecter, the brilliant yet cannibalistic psychiatrist first introduced in his 1981 novel, Red Dragon. Alfredo Bali Trevino was born in Mendez, Tamaulipas on October 2nd of 1931. His parents imparted on Trevino and his four siblings the importance of education as a means of becoming successful from a young age. As a result of this, three of their sons, including Trevino, attended medical school. Trevino was described by those who knew him as reserved and having a strict character. He preferred to dress in light-colored clothing, including white shoes, and wore dark sunglasses due to his sensitivity to light. He was rarely seen without his gold Rolex President watch, and I looked this up, apparently the watch costs $30,000, so I guess he he's quite financially successful at this point.
1: Before we get to the topic, which was handpicked by you wonderful Patreon supporters, we just wanted to say thank you so much, and it means a lot that you value our work enough to want to support us.
0: Yes, we're so excited for um, all the future fun topics that we plan to cover with these Patreon bonus episodes as well as maybe some additional bonus rewards and different sorts of content in the future. So definitely something to look forward to. Also, obviously, if you have any special requests, just let us know. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about Silence of the Lambs, which is one of my all time favorite movies and I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast we also talked about Ed Gein before being the inspiration for some aspects of Buffalo Bill you know along with Ted Bundy obviously with his ruse for kidnapping women by pretending to be injured. Yep. Um, there's also John E. Douglas being a bit of the inspiration for Jack Crawford the character who's the head of the behavioral science unit in Thomas Harris's universe but this episode we're going to focus on Hannibal because He's Hannibal. (laughs) So (laughs) the truth is that Hannibal was actually inspired by a real person. And this fact did not come to light until 2013, which was the 25th anniversary of the writing of the book Silence of the Lambs. So, let's get into this story.
1: In the early 1960s, Thomas Harris visited the Topo Chico Penitentiary in Monterey, Mexico, to interview Dykes Eskew Simmons for Argosy, a Pulp Fiction magazine. Simmons was an American who was committed to a mental ward in the prison for a triple homicide. During the interview, Simmons described a near-death experience he had in prison. Simmons had bribed a guard to allow him to escape, but the guard double-crossed him, took his money, and then shot him as he was attempting to escape. Simmons told Harris that his life was saved by Dr. Trevino, a surgeon who was able to stop the bleeding and treat the gunshot wound. Harris had a chance to speak with Dr. Trevino, who he described as a, quote, small, lithe man, and said that upon entering the meeting, quote, he stood very still and there was a certain elegance about him. He invited me to sit. The pair spoke about Simmons with Trevino quizzing him about his experience interviewing the man. He asked odd questions like whether Harris thought the sunglasses Simmons wore made his disfigured face look more symmetrical, and whether Simmons turned his face away from Harris when they spoke. Much of the conversation centered around the perceived attractiveness of Simmons' victims versus the disfigured face of Simmons himself. Trevino asked whether he thought Simmons was tormented as a child and later commented in response to Simmons's crime that quote early torment makes torment easily imagined before adding quote you are a journalist mr harris how would you put that in your journal how do you treat the fear of torment in journalese might you say something snappy about torment like it puts the hell in hello after this exchange a prison guard came by to let trevino know that he had patience and to escort harris out before he left Harris thanked Dr. Trevino and told him to reach out if he was ever traveling in Texas so that they could go get lunch or a drink, to which Trevino replied, "'Thank you, Mr. Harris. Certainly I will, when next I travel.'" As he was leaving, Harris asked the guard how long Dr. Trevino had been working at the prison for. The guard replied, "'You don't know who that is? The doctor is a murderer. As a surgeon, he could package his victim in a surprisingly small box. He will never leave this place. He is insane.'"
0: That fateful meeting was recounted by Harris in 2013 in the prologue of the 25th anniversary re-release of his novel, The Silence of the Lambs. In his published version of this story, he actually did not name Trevino. Instead, he referred to the mysterious man as Dr. Salazar. But it didn't take long for reporters to track down the killer who inspired the creation of Hannibal Lecter, the brilliant yet cannibalistic psychiatrist, first introduced in his 1981 novel, Red Dragon. Alfredo Bali Trevino was born in Mendez, Tamaulipas on October 2nd of 1931. His parents imparted on Trevino and his four siblings the importance of education as a means of becoming successful from a young age. As a result of this, three of their sons, including Trevino, attended medical school. Trevino was described by those who knew him as reserved and having a strict character. He preferred to dress in light-colored clothing, including white shoes, and wore dark sunglasses due to his sensitivity to light. He was rarely seen without his gold Rolex President watch, and I looked this up, apparently the watch costs $30,000, so I guess he he's quite financially successful at this point.
1: He also often carried around a gun, a habit he may have picked up from his father. Details about Trevino's crime are scarce, and nearly every reference which discusses him does so in the context of him being the, quote, real-life Hannibal Lecter. When Harris was looking into the case in order to write the prologue, he actually reached out to Diego Enrique Osorno, a Mexican author with extensive knowledge of Monterey. Harris told Orsono what he could remember of the man, that his nickname was, quote, the Werewolf of Nuevo León, and he was convicted of killing hitchhikers, dismembering them, and throwing pieces of them out of his car at night. Of course, none of this really turned out to be the case. In the afternoon of October 9th, 1959, Jesus Castillo Rangel, a fellow doctor and friend since high school, stopped by Trevino's office in Tulare's Monterey. Accounts vary on why they fought. Although many references present the two as lovers who fought because Rangel was leaving him, more contemporary references say that the fight was over money, and the fact that they were lovers only came out during trial. According to these accounts, Rangel came to lend him money, but when Trevino saw that Rangel had 5,000 pesos in his medical kit, Trevino demanded all of it. When Rangel refused, Trevino attacked him. Again, accounts vary. Some say that Trevino used a cloth soaked in sodium pentanol to knock Rangel out, while others say that Trevino immediately slit his throat with a scalpel. The accounts do agree, however, that next, Trevino took him to the bathtub and drained him of the rest of his blood. He then cut the body into seven pieces, wrapped them in a tarp, and placed them in a cardboard box in the back of his 1958 Chevy. After committing the murder, Trevino reached out to his friend and driver, Francisco Carrera Villarreal, for help disposing of the body. The trial would reveal that Carrera Villarreal was also romantically involved with Trevino and Rangel. The pair went to Carrera Villarreal's uncle, Guadalupe Villarreal, in order to borrow a shovel. Although he lent it to them, he was suspicious, and so he followed them to an empty lot and watched them bury the box. Later that day... He returned to the spot and dug up the remains of Rangel. He called the police, and Trevino and Carrera Villarreal were arrested.
0: Trevino was sentenced to death in May of 1961 by Judge Marco Antonio Leja Moreno. He was actually the last prisoner sentenced to death in Mexico, and his sentence was later commuted to 20 years in prison. Although Trevino was romantically involved with several men, he married a woman, Dolores Montiel, shortly before being sent to prison. And after her death and his release from prison in 1981, he married another woman named Cristina. Trevino remained in Monterey practicing medicine for free after his release, mostly treating senior citizens and others who may not otherwise be able to afford medical care. Shortly before his death in early 2009, Trevino gave an interview with the Monterey newspaper Millenio, where he described his service as atonement for his crime, saying, I paid what I had to pay. Now I'm just waiting for the divine punishment. And he did die in 2009. So, I have a couple discussion points about Trevino. Uh, so, even before the kind of big reveal in 2013, Trevino and his family saw the Silence of the Lambs film and they recognized that Lecter was inspired by Trevino. And his wow. family actually started calling him Hannibal or Dr. Lecter, which Trevino thought was funny.
1: Wow, that's so wild. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Could you imagine?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine seeing Hannibal and being like, "Oh, that must be inspired by me." Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Ooh.
1: Wow. I wonder if it would have had. Well, I mean, the movie's so good, but like, I just wonder if the them knowing that it was like based on it, a true story would have impacted the the film at all. Because if that ha- didn't come out until just recently, then yeah, nobody really knew
0: yeah but i do feel like it's it's like the the poise of hannibal like his kind of smoothness that's inspired by trevinio like not really any of the crimes so i feel like that would definitely kind of affect you know how much they enjoyed it (laughs) speaking of the kind of more serial killer aspect So the story that Thomas Harris recalled, you know, when he reached out to that author, was that Trevino had killed hitchhikers and cut them up and threw body pieces out the window. So that story actually did not come from nowhere. Uh, Trevino was suspected of killing and dismembering several hitchhikers, but that is... Uh, literally all you can find about it online <laughs> it's just a kind of a side note in the stories about him and his crime is that he's suspected of killing and dismembering hitchhikers so couldn't find names or timelines or how many hitchhikers or where body parts were found so you're saying there were at least say. 50 yeah i think there were like 49 oh
1: yeah, yep. yeah. wow It's a lot yep Ooh, scary. Wow, that's pretty wild. Yeah. No idea. Um, and especially the fact that all this came to light just so recently. Now I really want to pick up this uh, anniversary edition of the novel and read it.
0: I want to pick up the Criterion Blu-ray you've been talking of so highly.
1: Yeah, it's uh, coming out in February. All right, cool. Sit tight and we are going to dive in to a discussion of the 1991 film The Silence of the Lambs here in a second. We'll be right back.
0: easily, Starling. Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose.
1: Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real
0: physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop.
1: But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe
0: me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job and never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster.
1: Pure psychopath so rare to capture one alive so close to the way you're going to catch him do you realize that oh Clarice your problem is you need to get more fun out of life
0: you told me you don't spook easily you call this easy sir left missing hand arm Man's a raving maniac who knows what he'll do
1: And we're back. FBI agent Clarice Starling is sent to interview imprisoned killer Dr. Hannibal, the cannibal Lector. She hopes he might reveal information about another crazed killer known only as Buffalo Bill, who is abducting young women, starving them, and then killing them. Lecter's brilliant mind is intrigued by Starling, and he begins giving her mystifying clues which could be helpful or merely a game. The terror builds as Buffalo Bill grabs another victim, and the countdown to death begins again. Finding the madman means Starling must get inside Lecter's mind. To stop the killer, she must enter a terrifying race against death. You know, we just chatted about the recently revealed true uh, inspirations behind Tom Harris's 1988 novel, Uh, In case you didn't know, Thomas Harris wrote and created the Hannibal Lecter character, starting out with Red Dragon and then following it up with The Silence of the Lambs. And then he had two follow-ups to that, Hannibal and Hannibal Rising, which that one is a prequel. The book came out in 1988 and then the film was released in 1991, so it really was not all that long of a period of time between the publication of the novel and then the, um, the film coming out. Tom Harris has an earlier novel before he started this what I guess we'll call the Hannibal Lecter series. It is called Black Sunday, um, not to be confused with the Mario Bava 60s horror film, which is pretty amazing. This one is a thriller about terrorists who are threatening to commit mass murder during the Super Bowl in New Orleans and is all about the uh, law enforcement officials' efforts to stop said terrorist event from acting out. So a bit different uh, than than the uh, Hannibal the Cannibal books. Because of how... The film of Silence of the Lambs is one of those, I think, um, just magical pieces of cinema that came together with the right people at the right time, starting with the book. But the screenplay by Ted Talley, I think, um, is really a great adaptation. He's written uh, scripts to a couple of other movies. I have not actually seen any of these. It's uh, White Palace, Before and After, The Juror... All the Pretty Horses and Twelve Strong. He actually was offered the job to write the follow-up to Lambs, the Hannibal one that Ridley Scott ended up directing, but both Ted Talley and the director Jonathan Demme were approached to direct it but they thought that the book ended up being really ridiculous and um, after talking to Tom Harris his desire was for nothing to be changed and so they walked away from the project um, despite the fact that yeah they, they threw a lot of money at them and they still said no I think it's a testament to the fact with um well the I fact guess...
0: of how bad some of the decisions were
1: <laughs> yes uh however tally did come back to write white uh, white dragon <laughs> he came back to white right dragon <laughs> oh he uh he came back to write um, the screenplay too Red Dragon
0: which is a completely unnecessary film because Manhunter is perfect Why remake it?
1: I know, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, so we got the next person in line here. Um, Big part of the film, the director, Jonathan Demme. Um, He has had a super varied and pretty amazing career as a director. He sadly passed away on April 26th of 2017 of Cancer and Complications, and that was a sad day because, you know, he was a great talent. He directed several films starting out with uh, Roger Corman, who has an Easter egg. He has a slight small little cameo in the film, and these were in the 70s. He directed... Caged Heat, which is kind of the prototypical woman in prison film, Crazy Mama, and another one called Fighting Mad, also for Roger Corman. He did a bunch of comedies in the 80s. Um, he did Melvin and Howard, and Chelsea, he did Swing Shift, the uh, Goldie Hawn slash Kurt Russell film.
0: I think we need to watch that next. We recently watched Overboard, which I had not seen, and David recommended. Uh, And they're remaking it soon, which I'm excited for the remake. But man, that film is so problematic, and I loved it. I loved it so much.
1: It's interesting, yeah, because Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell have that real-life chemistry.
0: Yeah. I think if it was not them, it would not have been nearly as enjoyable. But it was very enjoyable.
1: Uh, He did Something Wild, and he also did Married to the Mob towards the end of the 80s. One of his more incredible projects is the Talking Heads concert film Chelsea Stop Making since in
0: 1984. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Talking Heads is my favorite band, and that movie is amazing.
1: He had a one-two punch. So, 1991, he did Silence of the Lambs, and then in 1993, he directed Philadelphia.
0: Oh, wow. I did not know he directed Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia is pretty amazing. It was... Um, you know, one of a lot of well, it won Tom Hanks the uh, Best Actor for Academy Award, but as uh, Andrew Beckett. But it was also one of those the first mainstream Hollywood movies to address HIV and AIDS, but also homophobia.
0: Also, it's got the Bruce Springsteen song.
1: It does, yeah. Uh, Jonathan Demi directed that music video. Oh,
0: really? He did, yeah. Wow. And uh,
1: Denzel Washington's really great in that yeah. too. After he directed these though, too, um, he uh, did an adaptation of Toni Morrison's Beloved and a remake of the Manchurian Candidate, which. Um, oh, I, he
0: did that remake. He did. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. Denzel's in that too. Uh, he did Rachel getting married. Have you seen that?
0: Oh, I've not, but I've heard it's very, very good.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen either. Um, and to kind of uh sort of a sequel, really, to the um stop making sense concert.
0: I don't know about that.
1: Uh, he did a documentary. Um, it's. A concert documentary, Justin Timberlake plus the Tennessee Kids in 2016.
0: I don't think those can be compared. It's like uh, Hannibal being the sequel to The Silence of the Lambs.
1: Oh yes, perfect. That's a good comparison. <laughs> he was actually set to direct and write the adaptation of Stephen King's Eleven, Twenty Two, Sixty Three, but left due to creative differences with King. So that's uh, those are those guys. We also have the score, which is pretty haunting done by Howard Shore.
0: Yay. I love him.
1: At moments does uh, remind me of some of those grander themes in the Lord of the Rings. How about that cast?
0: Huh? (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. How about that cast?
1: All right. So we have in the starring role of Clarice Starling, Jodie Foster, (laughs) followed up by Dr. Hannibal Lecter, played by the great Sir Anthony Hopkins.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yep.
1: And then leading the the, uh, <laughs> the rest of the team, um, we have the character of Jack Crawford, played by the great Scott Glenn, which I realized after his opening scene that I had seen him somewhere. And yes, he is the old man blind stick in the Daredevil series.
0: Yeah, I was a bit surprised. I don't think I've really seen him in anything other than Silence of the Lambs. It was shocking seeing him that much older, even though I guess, you know, the movie is what, 30, almost 30 years old.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have Jamie Buffalo Bill Gum,
0: amazing,
1: played by Ted Levine, and uh, then kind of the out of all all the film, the slimiest character, Doctor Frederick uh, Chilton, played by Anthony Hild.
0: I can't disagree with you on that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, just love that cast. We'll talk about all the awards that it racked up uh, with the Academy Awards that you're here, uh, here in just a couple minutes. But um, as a follow-up to Manhunter, which was the 1986 uh, Michael Mann adaptation of the Red Dragon novel, the Silence of the Lambs film has an interesting history. So, in order to use the character of Hannibal Lecter, the filmmakers first had to gain the rights from producer uh, Dino De Laurentiis. And since Manhunter was not very successful when it first came out, um, he gave them the rights for free. I'm
0: sad to hear that Manhunter was not very successful. Yeah, it's uh, definitely
1: been like a, a cult film. That has, I think, I'll it's join wrong. that cult. <laughs> yeah, cult of Manhunter.
0: Yes, cult of William Peterson's tiny blue shorts in Manhunter. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, Manhunter is really great. It's all. It's really good.
0: It's amazing. I've gotta say, I uh I know that Silence of the Lambs is a better film, but Manhunter I could just watch over and over and over again. I feel like it's a little less heavy. Um, Francis Dollarhide as the villain is just uh just terrifying. I feel like he's kind of scarier to me than Buffalo Bill. And you know, the crimes themselves, I think that, you know, it does have that home invasion aspect, which I don't like, and it's killing like entire families. (laughs) which is awful. I I just really like that movie.
1: And I love the character
0: of Will Graham. Uh, You know, if, if any of you have seen the Hannibal television series, you know, the star... Hugh Dancy, Will Graham, is played by a young William Peterson in the Manhunter series and he's just he's great.
1: He does do a great job in that. And Tom Noonan is just incredible as the villain. Yes. So good. Gene Hackman originally wanted to direct and star as Hannibal Lecter in a version produced by Orion Pictures. Ooh. Yeah. Gene that hackman. might have been hard to stomach yeah you know it's weird because i know gene hackman is considered like one of the great actors in uh capital letters and parentheses and he's really good but i just see him really as lex Luthor from the superman movies
0: that's fine i see him as uh the dad in that Wes Anderson movie.
1: Oh, yes. The Royal Tenenbaums. Royal
0: Tenenbaums, yeah.
1: Yep. Oh, man. I love that movie. Me too. Screenwriter Ted Tally was brought on board, but halfway through writing, Gene Hackman left the project and the financing deal fell through. But the production company encouraged Tally to continue writing, and then they secured Jonathan Demme to direct, and within a couple of months, they were shooting. So that happened pretty quickly. Um, after that, maybe Gene Hackman was a hindrance. Demme originally considered a variety of actors to portray Lecter, and his first choice was Sean Connery, who turned it down. So, could you imagine Sean Connery as Hannibal Lecter? Chelsea,
0: no. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe with Sean Connery, you know, the romance between Hannibal and Clarice in the future picture would be a little bit more believable.
1: Oh, really?
0: Well, how did Sean Connery look in 1991? Because I could really only imagine him now and as James Bond. He
1: always he always looked old. He, he looked good as James no, no, Bond. No, no, yeah, of course. I love him as James Bond. I think he's great. I don't think he would have He did looked... not look like that in 1991? No, because he's older than um Anthony Hopkins.
0: But Anthony Hopkins is just creepy. <laughs> Age is not a factor. Just the creepiness is a factor.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess it's like, I don't know. It it would have been completely uh a different tone. And I wonder if he would have like... It would have been a little more campy. He would have been like, I ate, his... <laughs> I ate his liver with some fava beans.
0: I like it. Very good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Other uh, options for Hannibal Lecter included Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, and Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, come on. I think, like, if you have an older white male character and you want some prestige to it, you choose one of those three, right? Yeah. But of course, you know, Sir Anthony Hopkins won the role as Hannibal Lecter. The filming took place from November of 1989 through March of 1990 all around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Um, One thing I thought that was pretty cool was that the actual FBI Academy in Quantico was used for all of the scenes um, at the Academy. That's cool. Yeah, the FBI cooperated with the the filmmakers and were able to make that happen. And I think it gave it a bit of authenticity. Uh, the film had a budget of 19 million, so you know, for 1991, uh, that was a fairly medium to low budget. And it went on to gross 273 million during its theatrical run. We're talking about all the awards that this movie won, and I'm just going to focus on the Academy Awards. It won. Best Picture, Best Actor for Anthony Hopkins, Best Actress for Jodie Foster, Best Director for Jonathan Demme, and it won Best Adapted Screenplay uh, by Ted Talley. It's one of the few that has swept all of the major categories, and it is also one of the few horror films to even be nominated, which it won for Best Picture. The other nominations that are considered horror movies, which are The Exorcist in 1973 and Jaws in 1975.
0: Nice. Man, all of those are well-deserved but i must say upon this viewing like best adapted screenplay this movie is so well written i feel like that is what makes the acting so good is how great the script is like i mean their delivery is spot on and perfect but oh my god the writing particularly of the conversations between anthony hopkins and jodie foster is just incredible
1: yeah yeah i agree it's in numerous like best of lists so the um I grabbed a couple from the American Film Institute's greatest lists. The um, F.I.'s 100 Years 100 Movies list, it's number 65. The 100 Years 100 Thrills, it's number 5. The 100 Years 100 Heroes and Villains, Hannibal Lecter is number 1 for villain, and Clarice Starling is number 6 for hero. And the 100 Years haha, 100 Movie Quotes is... A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans. And
0: a nice Chianti. <laughs> that's yeah. like more like a squirrel noise. What is it?
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Number 21 for that quote. Yeah. yeah. I feel
0: like it should be not just best quote, but like often quoted. I feel like I've quoted that line a lot. <laughs> just completely <laughs> randomly. Just every time we pass a bottle of Chianti on a shelf in a grocery store. Yes, yeah, Yeah. yep.
1: Or fava beans, really. (laughs) Right, yeah, how can you not? Or the census taker comes to your door.
0: (laughs) Yeah, get rid of them real fast.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right, Chelsea, we're now at that point where I'm going to run some taglines by you.
0: All right, I'm ready.
1: All right, the first one is Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Brilliant, cunning, psychotic. In his mind lies the clue to a ruthless killer. Clarice Starling, FBI. Brilliant, vulnerable, alone she must trust him to stop the killer
0: no no on many levels but it's also really long so that's a hard a hard pass for me
1: all right number two prepare yourself for the most exciting mesmerizing and terrifying two hours of your life
0: i think that's what i say to people before showing them silence of the lambs for the first time (laughs) i don't know how that works as a tagline though
1: all right the third one may the silence be broken no number four from the terrifying bestseller
0: How is that a tagline?
1: All right. I'm going to try to redeem it here with the last one, number five. To enter the mind of a killer, she must challenge the mind of a madman.
0: Yes, that one's good. That one's perfect. Did they use that one? I feel like I've not really seen like movie posters with taglines i think so yeah yeah i I remember that one. i don't know if it was in the
1: like the television campaign or what but that one stands out to me um as being the one i remember i
0: mean i feel like probably from the terrifying bestseller they used because they use that for any horror or thriller book that they're adapting into anything (laughs) from the terrifying bestseller 50 shades of (laughs) gray
1: Okay, so now we talked all about that trivia, and before we break into kind of just uh, talking about some of the favorite parts of the movie, I thought we could just, you know, briefly discuss what sort of exposure, I don't go around exposing myself, but how else have you, have you seen some of the other, like, Hannibal Lecter stuff?
0: The first thing I saw was Silence of the Lambs, so I can't exactly remember when, I guess at some point, you know, my parents rented it, and I watched it, and... I loved it and then I actually watched Sounds of the Lambs before Manhunter because I remember specifically being like oh it's you know kind of like a prequel with the Hannibal Lecter character um, and it was also after I'd seen CSI so you got to recognize and appreciate young William Peterson <laughs> who also plays Gil Grissom in CSI. I, yeah, I did read actually you know because I really really enjoyed Manhunter. I read Red Dragon. I did not see the Red Dragon remake because I don't know. <laughs> the previews did not look very good. I already love Manhunter. I cannot imagine Edward Norton playing Will Graham. Well, you know, it's directed by, by a fathom it.
1: Brett Ratner.
0: Oh, oh.
1: Yeah. So we probably can never watch that movie now. Yeah.
0: You know, more more recently, in 2013, the uh, Hannibal television series came out. I did watch the whole first season, and I really loved it, and I had a little bit of trouble getting into the second season for reasons that I don't want to discuss because I think uh, you and I, David and I, are going to to watch it together, so I don't want to spoil it too bad. <laughs> I love spoilers. David does not. Uh, but... But I, I love the Hannibal TV series. And I think that, you know, that's kind of the, the first story, I guess, besides Hannibal Rising, which I didn't see, but it's um, Hannibal when he's not behind bars. And it's Hannibal when he's acting as a psychiatrist. And the whole series kind of rests on the notion of, you know, the FBI think of Hannibal, the character, Dr. Hannibal Eckert lecter played by mads mickelson as like their ally but we as the audience know that he is a cannibalistic serial killer i love stuff like that the you know kind of feeling a bit helpless as you watch it knowing things that the the other characters don't know so it's it's quite the experience um and mads mickelson does a great job as well as hugh dancy playing will graham
1: yeah i i i have way less experience with the Hannibal uh, Lecter as a character I'll get into a little bit of that here when we flip over to just our our overall thoughts on Silence of the Lambs but I saw the movie like I guess when it came out on video and then I got dragged to Hannibal when it came out and greatly disliked every moment of that experience and it wasn't until actually just recently I think when we watched it uh, last year it was the first time I would seen it since then so you know like 25 years later we watched it and I loved it. I think like being an adult really helped, helps, <laughs> helps, helped me out, enjoy the yeah. movie a lot more. And yeah, I haven't seen Hannibal. I love like Brian Fuller is a, is an awesome creative powerhouse. And uh, now that you know, all the seasons are on- Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, yeah. We'll slowly digest it. Ha, ha,
0: ha.
1: I know you've kind of talked about your thoughts a little bit, but um, let's just dig a little deeper. So what are your, what are your, your thoughts on uh, on the movie?
0: I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's an absolutely perfect movie. I think that in addition to just being very good, you know, I obviously like it a bit more because it is up my alley. You know, although it's not entirely based on a true crime, it, it's a thriller about catching a serial killer. That That is my alley. <laughs> so it is, it is up it. It is up my alley. And um, it's so smart. I feel like every decision they've made, every scene in the movie, it's it's just very smartly made, kind of leading to that climax. I think that you know all all of the characters are so well written. I think particularly the character of Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster, is you know amazing. I think that she is such a great heroine um, in terms of just being very smart and ambitious and you know, treating that like it's a good thing. I feel like, you know, in terms of her her gender, it's not that it doesn't matter. Because they do have, you know, the other recruits kind of looking at her when she's running, and you have, um, you know, obviously the interactions with Miggs and with Hannibal Lecter, um, you know, talking about weirdly sexual things, and you know, maybe perhaps the character of Jack Crawford does not have pure motives. But I think that, um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter to us as the audience, and you know, not not every movie is able to accomplish that. <laughs> Yeah, I really like her, and I think that I know we we're talking about this yesterday, but she's kind of believable as an inexperienced, you know, FBI agent in training, while still being incredibly smart and able to, you know, make these connections that other agents couldn't. And yeah, I mean, I think that obviously. Anthony Hopkins is just amazing as Hannibal Lecter. I don't know what to say about that performance other than, I mean, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing listening to this podcast? Go watch it. Uh, So what did you think of the movie, David?
1: I guess maybe the the film is too effective because when I first saw it, I could not watch Anthony Hopkins in any movies afterwards. I could not rewatch Silence of the Lambs. I couldn't even think about Hannibal Lecter as a character. And I think it maybe it speaks to, I guess, being a little naive about things. But um, yeah, this movie really scared me and I didn't like it. I did not like the way it made me feel. I did not like the villainous Dr. Lecter. I kind of felt that Anthony Hopkins was also a cannibal doctor, I think. Um, So I I stayed far, far away from this movie for like 25 years.
0: That's so funny because I was probably around the same age that you were when you watched it, when I watched it for the first time and I loved it. So I guess I am creepier than you.
1: (laughs) And I love you for it. The The interesting thing is that, like, I think this movie is awesome, and I love it now. I, I mean, we've watched it now twice in the last, like, six or eight months, and both experiences, uh, you know, it just gets better each time. And now I feel like I am, I get it, I'm on board, 25 years later, whatever, 27, <laughs> 30, it's, I guess it's really nearing the 30th anniversary of the movie. This movie's great, and now I can watch Anthony Hopkins in anything, um, even if it's a bad movie. <laughs> Like Hannibal? Oh no, no, Hannibal's still terrible. That film was awful. I mean, not the TV show, but the 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 film is just not good.
0: I guess somehow in the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, the actual book sequel, and I guess technically movie sequel, uh Doctor Lecter gets with Clarice.
1: Well, they don't do that in the movie, though.
0: No, oh, they don't do that in the movie.
1: No, but they um they cut open that guy's head and they eat his brains while he's like
0: Clarice eats his brains.
1: The no, I don't know. I don't. I can't. You don't remember? remember. About it I
0: know that in the book they get to. And that made me very mad. And that's why I never watched the movie.
1: So dear listeners, if you've read the book and seen the movie clarify with us what exactly happened something awful does she need a brain but i know they get does together she no you're right penis. about getting together yeah in, she does. In the books, I, I don't know, know about that yeah yeah no definitely yeah i remember yeah. that but i just can't remember if they do that in the movie or not
0: it's just one of those things they should have left that on fanfiction.net <laughs> and not turned it into an actual part of the canon fine i'm i'm all for fanfiction pairing whatever strange couples people would like but i don't like that that exists
1: and it's interesting that you know it comes from the the creative of the character is just making one of those terrible decisions
0: oh my goodness ugh.
1: no this movie is amazing but if you were to ask me as a teenager i would have been like no i can't watch that movie
0: it's so funny that this movie is where you draw the line knowing <laughs> know. the other movies that you watched and loved as a teenager okay
1: yeah or even as like a 10 year old <laughs>
0: But it's, you know, there's a difference. I think, you know, you preferring the more supernatural horror type movies. This really is, while it's still a horror movie, the complete opposite of that. It's a very realistic seeming, you know, horror movie. That's, I mean, just as terrible people exist in real life as you've learned doing this podcast with me. Yeah.
1: All right. So should we kind of just sort of walk through the film a little bit?
0: Yeah, let us do it.
1: All right. Well, let's dive in. So um, well, right away we meet Clarice's character. It is her journey through this film as a um, an FBI agent in, what's the right word, in training? Yeah. She's pulled from training because there's a big case. Her boss, uh, Jack Crawford, has a has something for her to do. Yes. And that thing that she's going to do is to interview Dr. Hannibal Lecter.
0: Yes. So Jack Crawford is the head of the behavioral science unit at the FBI. And although Clarice is still in training, she's indicated her desire to, once she completes training, join the behavioral science unit. So, yes. you know, I think he he knows that and he's using that. I think this is where kind of the gender conversation. Comes in, um, you know, he's kind of handpicked her to be the one to go and talk to this person, Hannibal Lecter. You know, I, I think that her attractiveness is not not a factor in that decision, as as we'll come to see. I mean, even lector himself is a bit suspicious I, I would say
1: yeah yeah definitely i think it does it does play into it a bit but it doesn't um i guess exploit the fact i mean you know they they start off with clarice she's like running through climbing these like rope nets and walls and doing all yeah. this cool training stuff that i could probably never do
0: and then you know she she goes into the building and she gets in the elevator to go see jack crawford and it's in the elevator with a bunch of white men so you know it's i feel like watching this movie you have to watch it and realize that nothing is incidental I feel like everything was a decision a very smart decision that they made it's expertly crafted um but yeah so she she gets this assignment obviously she agrees because it's an amazing opportunity and she is a a ladder climber in the physical and non-physical sense right Get it? Because she climbs ladders for her training, but also uh, is super ambitious, which I love as an ambitious woman. Um, So she she goes to the Baltimore State Hospital for the criminally insane and speaks with the slimy Dr. Chilton. He's just perfect. I think that the the characters in here kind of being foils for each other. You know, you have like the cat and mouse game with. Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling and then I feel like with Clarice Starling being the student you have these contrasting mentors to her of Jack Crawford and Hannibal Lecter and then you also have this relationship between Lecter and Chilton where you know Chilton himself says that you know he thinks of me as like his arch nemesis or whatever where it's like these two doctors but yeah it's it it is interesting but yeah he's pretty gross uh hitting on her like right off the bat, <laughs> offering to take her around, show her the sights in Baltimore. Okay.
1: For the longest time, I thought this was, uh, he was played by Matthew Modine because he looks very similar in this movie.
0: I don't know who Matthew Modine is.
1: Um, He's the doctor in season one of Stranger Things. The uh, oh. el- like 11's like dad. Both times. It wasn't until like afterwards. I was like, oh, it's not him. Aww. Weird Mistaken identity. Um, But yeah, definitely went to hiss every time he go- he comes on screen.
0: It's true. Yeah. Whereas
1: with Doctor with with Hannibal Lecter, I just want to be quiet, and listen,
0: <laughs> just be quiet, and slowly back away. Yeah,
1: yeah. So so they kind of weave their way down into the um the cell where Doctor Lecter is being held, and you know the like it's like gar-
0: maximum security within the maximum security facility. It's uh it's quite intense. And it there's is. There's like yeah. what four or five other patients there besides him, and he's like all the way at the end. And
1: there's some specific rules in terms of approaching uh hannibal yeah Lector. which is don't yeah don't approach don't, him don't approach him uh, Doctor
0: tells the story of the i guess he like pretended to have a heart attack and they like took him out and they brought him to the hospital and when the nurse like bent over to check his vitals or something he like ate her face yeah and he like shows clarice a picture of it and says what is it his heart rate never got above 82 even when he swallowed her tongue oh, like,
1: oh. oh creepy and this is all before you even see him yes um and it's like don't approach the glass Um, don't don't tap on the glass don't tap on it put
0: food through the little holes
1: don't feed him after midnight
0: don't get him wet yep exactly
1: all those things so you got to be really careful about this guy so really build him up build him up yeah so as she's approaching like his cell you know everyone else is kind of barred in
0: yeah but some of them are like shouting things you have migs who's really gross who tells her excuse my language uh, not a word I say often or ever, but uh, he says to her, I smell your cunt, uh, which, oh, God, it's just just awful. Um, but it, it is interesting, I think. You kind of have the camera going down the hallway from her perspective, and it's like everyone has bars, but Hannibal Lecter is beso- behind like glass, which you can see, and you have like the folding chair sitting out in front of the cell for, for her, and it's... A, very I think well done shot and then you have you know she goes in there and this kind of reminds me of when Thomas Harris was talking about meeting uh, Trevino where he's just like standing there completely still in like the middle of the cell kind of waiting for her really
1: yeah oh my gosh that big reveal is something else because I mean there's just something about the lighting and then his just like body language that's really scary and so their whole interaction is just pretty terrifying it's a lot of like back and forth so you can tell like He's testing her, but she really holds her own. Yeah, like very, very, very well.
0: Yeah, and they um, you know, she looks at. I guess he's got drawings in his uh, in his cell that he's made. You know, he says, "That's what he has instead of a view."
1: This alludes, to, I guess, some of his past history spelled out in the sequel, but um, just about him like living in what Italy or I think Paris or Paris. Oh, it's Paris. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 because it's like really well done drawings and stuff.
0: Yes, yes. And, you know, at first the, the conversation's kind of friendly and then Clarice tries to, like, veer it towards, you know, will you fill out this serial killer questionnaire, which kind of reminded me of Mindhunter. <laughs> oh, yeah, talking totally. Talking about developing that, that questionnaire. And
1: he's like, oh, we were doing so fine. You were doing yeah. so great, you know. We, we were courteous and yeah. you were courteous back. And, and- now this
0: ham-fisted attempt. <laughs> um, and yeah. then he, he kind of goes off on her uh, with this rant about, you know, basically him using his well, shall we say powers of deduction to, um, you know, talk about her accent, showing that she's from West Virginia about, you know, seeing that she's very ambitious and all of this. And then, uh, you know, she ends up, I guess, just kind of getting frustrated because, um, he won't, he won't do the questionnaire and she, uh, she goes to leave. And then, uh, as she's leaving, Miggs is masturbating in the next cell and, uh, kind of talking crazy and basically flicks, uh, semen at her. And then, uh, suddenly Lecter calls her back and tells her, um, look deep within yourself, uh, seek out a former patient of mine, uh, Mrs. Moffat. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like the first, the first clue. I think actually during the conversation, uh, Hannibal Lecter kind of implies that he might know a bit more than he's leading on about about the current killer, Buffalo Bill, um, which they they actually talk about, I think, in this conversation where Buffalo Bill gets the nickname. So it started out as a joke. He skins his humps.
1: Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so so she ends up uh, figuring out that it, it is like a storage shed and she ends up.
0: <sighs> yes. Yes. She talks to Crawford and says that she thought the reference was too hokey, which I think is so smart, but also um kind of believable. Yeah. You know, she had a conversation with him. I think she was able to see how carefully he chooses his words. So to say something like look deep within yourself. Eh, it is hokey
1: yeah but the storage shed scene is like right out of a horror film i mean this is a horror film but but it's it's very it's really scary because like it starts out while where while she's trying to get in and you know she has kind of i guess she's uh teamed up with the the owner of the storage shed uh the place or whatever and um he's kind of waiting outside with his driver and she just can't get it open she's like i'll be right back and She's so resourceful. She, like, grabs a the tire um, jack from the trunk of her car and then just, like, starts propping up the door. And uh, she can't get all the way open, but it's enough that she can crawl through. So she's, like, crawling through the the door, and she, like, stops for a second, and she pulls out her card, and she's like, here's my card, here's my number. The FBI knows that I'm here with you. If anything should happen, give them a call. Because, like, that scene is good. It's not... I mean, it, it feels like... You know, what if the door came, comes down and, or while she's crawling under it, not just that, but once she gets inside, what if, you know, she's stuck in there. Um, And it's like this vast, large storage space that's just filled with stuff. Um, And there's like a, a a covered car. So she kind of goes, makes her way towards that first. And um, you kind of see her like shine the light. You see from inside the car, which is pretty cool. And then the like flashlight come up and then she like pulls it out and then she's trying to get in and she gets in through the back.
0: Yeah, it almost seems like it's It's like a, like hearse? a hearse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, from the back of it, it, it looks like it's it's a hearse, but inside there's um like a headless mannequin in a woman's dress, and then something that's covered with like a a scarf, and she takes it off, and it is a man's decapitated head uh, wearing makeup and fake lashes.
1: Yeah, just his head floating, and just so his head,
0: and like yeah, gross solution so she actually goes straight back to Hannibal Lecter after this and basically to tell him like oh uh, like uh I feel like her enthusiasm in this scene is where you kind of start getting to know her character a little bit more you know she's not scared of Lecter now you know she's not standing far away or sitting on a chair she's like sitting almost up against the glass and like talking to him and being like excited almost it's it's very interesting. I like it. A well, lot. because
1: and there's a scene before I guess where he, um, they allude to the fact that, or they don't allude. They say that Miggs is dead because, yes. oh um, yeah, and it's kind of like he did something for her, kind of. I you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Not action, not not actually, but like he took an action because I guess he was offended that Miggs had treated her that way. Yes,
0: yeah, it's in the the phone conversation where she tells Crawford about yourself being a storage facility you know he says you know uh, Miggs is dead i guess the guards heard Lecter talking to him and then he um swallowed his tongue so i guess he like bit off his tongue and swallowed it and died um so as as punishment chilton took away all of Lecter's drawings and is making him listen to this terrible like watch this gospel thing on television with the (laughs) volume all the way up just what a dick
1: yeah, but it's like a good scene because I think that they they make it so clear that you know he earlier that like he has no windows and these are like his his pictures to the outside and then they take him away and he's like being punished. Yeah, which helps later when they give him an offer.
0: <laughs> yeah, during this conversation, you know, Lector tells her. I guess she assumed that this was someone that Lector had killed, but he says, you know, it's not. It's like the the first murder of like a a fledgling serial killer, which you'll later find out is Buffalo Bill. It's the first victim of Buffalo Bill. Yeah. So, and he also says, I guess, so the, the head is wearing this makeup and um, she, Clarice is wondering whether this person was a transvestite, but he was not. The makeup was put on by the person who killed him. So, uh, Lecter offers Clarice to do a complete profile of this killer Buffalo Bill, which it's kind of implied that Lecter knows who he is. So I don't know why he would give a profile if he could just give a name. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know. It's, it's definitely but, all part of a game. Oh, yeah, it is all a game. But he, so he offers that if Clarice can get him out of this facility and out of the reach of Dr.
1: Chilton. Yes, the yes. terrible Dr. Chilton. Yep. And then we get to see Buffalo Bill in action and this is the um the bundy-esque crime where he's uh he has a like a cast on and he's struggling with getting this couch in the back of his van and there's a woman approaching or she's actually just like going into her apartment she's like hi to her cat who's in the window she's like hi kitty kitty's like meow 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 and uh <laughs> this is a, this is when we're like both yelling at yelling i think every time i've watched this yeah. it's like just go inside don't help him yeah Um, but he's like oh could you help me load this thing up and then well the
0: trick is like she offers to help so it's like she sees him struggling but like who who wouldn't help when you see someone with like a broken arm trying to lift an armchair (laughs) into their car what she does that's not very smart is she like climbs into the back of the van because he's like oh i want to like push it all the way into the back can you like get in the van and it to the back and then he just goes in after her and knocks her out with the cast He's like what are
1: you about a 14 and yeah like what and it's like bam bam
0: bam. and then he checks the tag on her shirt and she is in fact a size 14 and he he cuts her shirt down the back i guess to remove it and then throws it out of the van and drives off and they said later on that's um Like his calling card, I guess, is like that the cut shirt. Yeah, and it's so creepy because it's it's
1: like the cut shirt and then her groceries are just laying on the ground. Yeah. She has been abducted. Um, And she's a senator's daughter, Catherine Martin, which I guess is kind of a big deal. So this is when Crawford authorizes the deal to happen. But it's not a real deal. No, it's not a real deal. Um, It's like a great promise of like, he'll have like one day to walk outside, like on the beach. Yeah,
0: well, he'll have... He'll be transferred to a different facility upstate New York, and he'll have a view out the window. And then for one week out of the year, um, he'll be allowed to go to this island where I guess they do animal of research, and it's like mostly unoccupied, and he can walk on the beach and do whatever, you know, under the supervision of a SWAT team. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, he he takes the deal on the condition that for the information that he gives, for every piece of information that he gives. Clarice Starling has to say something about herself to Quid him. Quid pro quo. Quid pro quo, Clarice.
1: You know, because one of the rules was never tell Lecter anything personal about yourself. His powers of deduction and seduction isn't the right word, but just he—he's very st- strong personality, and it's like, oh, this is not going to be good.
0: Yes. Um. So they—they they do have. Uh, some back and forth with this exchange of information. So Clarice tells him about you know her worst experience from childhood, which was the murder of her father, who was a cop. And he tells her that um, this character of Buffalo Bill is seeking transformation actually we didn't talk about the finding the moth yet it actually happens before oh, this right. scene so yeah. it, and it's it's before i think Catherine was even taken but they find a, a body of a buffalo bill victim and she has like these two diamond shapes of skin cut out of her back and down her throat they find a chrysalis for a death's head moth that um they're you know they're not native to the u.s are only found in um south asia so actually Lecter brings this up like um she says, you know, we found something in the throat. And he's like, oh, it's, was it uh, a butterfly? And it's like, well, sort of it was the the chrysalis so the big thing is transformation Um, so he says you know he may not be transsexual so he says that you know he thinks he is because he thinks like something's like not really right so he talks about i guess there being three hospitals that would do sexual reassignment surgery and Lecter says he wouldn't be surprised if he's contacted all three of them but been rejected on the grounds of his psychology being so twisted oh yeah so um so that's kind of the the clue that they have to go on and this whole conversation is being listened to by Chilton who has bugged the um, the cell and Chilton knows that the offer is not real because he reaches out to Catherine's mother Senator Ruth Martin and you know she is obviously very unhappy that they lied yeah. Um, particularly because it seems like Lecter does have information that they could use. So um, basically, Clarice and Jack Crawford are kind of pushed out of the investigation, and Chilton then makes a deal with Lecter and flies him to to meet the senator.
1: So the scene where they find the pod in the the woman's throat. Yeah. Um, they go into like the mortuary or whatever. It reminded me though what you were you had mentioned when um Clarice enters that elevator at the academy where it's all men. And it's a similar thing where it's all like male cops. Yeah. And she's the only woman yeah. in the room.
0: Oh, uh, there's actually a moment where like Jack Crawford kind of sneakily uses that, like uses her gender kind of as an excuse to like Buddy up with the cops and be like, Oh, not in front of you know her, let's go to this side room. And I think later on, he actually talks to Clarice about that, being like, You know, it's although it like may have seemed rude, which like it kind of was, he was, you know, basically using it to kind of forge this connection with these local backwoods cops or whatever.
1: We jump back to where Lecter has been reincarcerated, and it's this,
0: yes, he's like taken onto the plane. This is this is an image that you may have seen with him with the like creepy face mask with the little bars where his mouth is. So he's taking off the plane. He is talking to the Senator. She like meets him there and they have a conversation where he gives like a little bit of information about this guy saying his name is Lewis friend, which is, uh, he's big on anagrams. Yes. So like Hester Moffat, the anagram he used for the storage facility. When you switch around, it's the, the rest of me. And this is Lewis friend, Which uh, they switch it around and it's iron sulfide, a.k.a. fool's gold. So basically it's not a real name. It does seem like he maybe gives some real information, which is that, you know, he was having a relationship with one of Dr. Lecter's patients and then killed that patient and that's whose head was in the jar but he also says some really awful things to senator martin
1: and i guess that was was just just shown how to show how terrible he is
0: yeah he's he's awful he's not a good person
1: no no no
0: he is taken to his new cell which is um kind of all decked out he's got a fancy desk and a thing to play music and all of his art supplies And it's like
1: a cage in the middle of a room it
0: is it's a cage in the middle of a room uh Clarice Starling is able to kind of sneak in and like says she's working with Dr. Chilton (laughs) and yeah Yeah. it's able to go in and kind of talk with him as we'll find out later kind of one last time yep yeah. well one last time before well done yeah. dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun um but she basically says you know i've figured out your anagram you know lewis friend is not actually his name and is like saying that she needs the information to catch him because of you know Catherine martin potentially still being alive yeah and you know Lecter wants his his quid pro quo so in their previous conversations she had said that after her father died she went and lived with cousins on a farm but ended up not staying there very long. And Lecter wants to know why she left. And it it turns out that on the farm, they were raising lambs for slaughtering. And she woke up one night in the middle of the night to the sound of these lambs screaming out as they were being slaughtered. And she went and she grabbed one of the lambs and tried to make a run for it, but um, was only able to run away for a couple miles. And um, when she got back, the The family was so angry that they sent her to live at an orphanage and ultimately the little lamb she tried to save was killed. You know, Lecter gets his uh, quid and does not give a quo because just at that moment Chilton comes in. He does. But he does tell her everything you need to solve the case is in the file. And he also tells her in the same conversation, you know, that what this killer does is he covets and we begin to covet the things that we see every day so ultimately these these clues that and the case file will lead to the rest of the movie will say right. but there's this really creepy scene where um he like sticks the case file out through the bars for her to grab as she's being like taken away from the room and she runs back and gets it and he like runs his finger down her finger so i guess maybe that's where the uh, the future romance comes in
1: yeah they're in love then <laughs> oh, at that God. they're married that's oh. not that what that means um and i'm pretty sure isn't aren't they intercutting though between buffalo bill and his little like awful dungeon in between here we've met him and precious and that um that he has Catherine Martin in his, like, well, or whatever it is. But the first kind of establishing thing is that Catherine Martin is um, in the bottom of a well. That yeah. she's, he wants her to put lotion on her skin in order for his bot skin suit, I guess, to be yeah. well moisturized.
0: Yes, and this is obviously the, the famous line.
1: It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> yeah. 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 I like how I like, over-explained it first. You see, because when you put the lotion, and Precious is a cute little little dog. Oh, my
0: goodness. Yeah. Yeah. A fat little poodle. Yeah. Uh, very sweet.
1: Yes. Yes. Precious is, is pretty great. But anyway, Catherine Martin, she's, at one point, I was, like, looking up, and she sees these, like, bloody, like, scratches and fingernail, like, stuck into the sides, to the walls. Yeah. The,
0: yeah. He lowers, pit. like, a basket down with a light for her to put the lotion in when she's done and as he pulls it up the light is like shining on the wall of this well and there are like fingernails stuck yeah. still Ooh. on the wall like bloody scratch marks real creepy
1: yeah um, um, alright well before we pass this one part I, I do want to mention that the the scene where um Lecter kills the guards and like gets how that whole thing unfolds and he escapes is just brilliant I love I love that it's yes. really creepy and scary and weird
0: Yes. So there's some foreshadowing. It's right before Lecter is taken on the airplane and flown down to to meet the senator. You see like Chilton has this kind of gold toned pen sitting on a bench and they like show it close up. And then later on they cut and it's not there. So um, Lecter ends up having like taking apart the pen. And when he's being fed his dinner, he... you know, is handcuffed to the bars on the side, but he sneaks in a little bit of the pen and basically undoes his handcuffs and then. Goes to town, we'll say, uh, on the two guards. Yeah. I think that's proper phrasing.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, this is that scene of him like raising the baton or, yeah. or whatever, and then yeah, like smashing down. That's just ooh. Yeah. So that, that's all. I, that's an amazing. That's just ooh. That's a really yeah. good action scene.
0: Yeah. Basically, how he escapes though is he um
1: defaces a guy, like, one cuts of the, the face
0: oh. off of one of the cops, dresses that cop in his outfit throws him down the elevator shaft
1: with a gun
0: with a gun on top of the elevator yeah puts his face on and lays down and pretends to be that guard but with you know severe facial laceration so like puts on his whole outfit um he
1: tricks them so well they're like they take his pulse and everything yeah and they're, they're like, like holding his hand there, buddy and
0: talk to him yeah <laughs>
1: He's like, what? He's like, talk to him. He's your partner, goddammit. it!
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And the other guard, he like strings up and like hangs him from the the cell uh, and disembowels him. So I feel like yeah, it's it is interesting. Yeah, you know, you're being introduced to Hannibal. I think with him seeming very like smart and measured, but obviously creepy. And then like when you see him doing this sort of stuff, it's like, Holy crap. I thought like, yeah. you finally see what he's really capable of and you know, why they took all those precautions with him.
1: Is there um so my thought when you know the cops burst in and they see the there's like a silhouette of the light coming through the, the cage or whatever it is, the prison mm-hmm. cell. The the one police officer is strung up but he has like a he's he's like there's he's like draped in like a cloth behind him. Yeah, and it, it it to me it's an it's interesting because it looks almost like a moth i wonder i don't know if there's like any uh any deeper meaning or or what anyone else thinks about that but i
0: don't know i always thought he kind of looked like an angel but that might be because i'm thinking of a particular episode of hannibal that we'll get to eventually oh that is disgusting Ah, all right um Yeah. yeah it is uh very cinematic that shot in particular yeah um, um, but yeah so basically what happens is they rush their fallen comrade from the building in an ambulance and like as they're taking him out of the building blood starts dripping down from the kind of roof of the elevator and they're like oh my god hannibal you know they think he's been shot apparently one of the guards was able to get off a shot which was you know all just a ploy because there was no gunfire nope <laughs> um until Hannibal fired the gun you know they think he's like injured perhaps dead on top of the elevator shaft so
1: like shoot him in the leg yeah they, they na- shoot him in him the twitch. leg and he doesn't move yeah. and they're
0: like oh my god you know he's maybe dead but then when they open the elevator shaft and they see that Jesus. his face is gone his face is gone they realize what has happened but it's too late Hannibal has escaped
1: he has escaped and they they put him into the ambulance and they drive off with him
0: oh my god that scene
1: yeah oh it's like he just like is laying there and then he just sort of slowly like pulls the face off
0: yeah it's like you you're seeing it so the medic in the back of the ambulance has like his back to the body and is like on the phone i guess calling ahead to the hospital to tell him about the patient that they're bringing in and like you see over his shoulder you know Lecter just like sit up and turn to him this is like don't let anyone ever tell you that silence of the lambs is not a horror movie because this is like something out of i don't know friday the 13th (laughs) 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 He <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just sits up and like pulls the face off and then basically ends up killing the two people in the ambulance, driving it to an airport, killing a tourist, stealing his clothes, stealing his money. And he could be anywhere. He and could this be. This is something that is, you know, relayed to, to Clarice. Yes. Uh, he so could have a podcast right now. He could. He could. He could be us. He could be me.
1: <laughs> 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 um. Why? Why are you taking your face off, Chelsea? No, no, ah! no. Um.
0: So after this, it cuts to Clarice speaking with her friend, you know, saying that she doesn't think that Lecter would go after her. Um, saying she can't explain why, and then she says he would think it's rude, which I love. <laughs> um, and then they're kind of poring over this case file because Lecter had told her, you know, everything that she needs to know is in the file and there's actually even a note from lector on the map about the locations of the bodies saying isn't it desperately random hmm. meaning not random at all nope um and basically, they come to the conclusion that, you know, this one victim who was actually his first victim, and she was the third body found because her body had been weighed down. It was the only person whose body was weighed down. So, you know, thinking back to the conversation about him coveting what he sees every day, you know, she realizes that Buffalo Bill may have known her. So she goes to Belvedere, Ohio, yep. where this girl is from. Ohio. Ohio. O-H-I-O. Ohio. <laughs> oh,
1: H-I-O. Ohio. That's our, that's our unofficial state cheer.
0: I think O H I O is our official stage here. Actually, where you do the hand motions. O-H-I-O. Oh, right. I O. Chelsea's doing it right now. I am doing it right now. Good
1: job. Good job.
0: Um. So yeah. So she goes. She goes to the um the dad's house and goes into the girl's room. She finds some pictures that the girl took of herself. Um, doing kind of pinuppy poses in her underwear and is thinking, oh maybe. She had a guy and then...
1: It was in her musical box where you put all your sneaky stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. I keep all my sneaky stuff in my music box. Yep. Um, But then she goes to the other room and sees, oh, she would tailor clothes and sew clothes. And she opens up the closet And sees kind of a dress pattern that has these two distinct diamond-shaped cuts of cloth, and she calls Jack Crawford and is like, "She's making, or he's making a woman suit. Buffalo Bill is making a woman suit. Um, you know, recognizing the diamond shape from the Buffalo Bill victim. Um, and Jack Crawford's like." It's fine. We have him. Yep. We're we're en route to pick him up now. Got him living outside of Chicago. I guess they they found his name on um, the list from one of the places. Actually, you know, so Lecter basically was right about him having applied to get this sexual uh, reassignment surgery, and they matched his name with someone who had tried to import those death deathhead moths from Asia. So, so, yes, we
1: got him. We yeah, got
0: him. Yeah, they got him. <laughs> um, so he's like, you know, just, just keep doing what you're doing in Ohio. Don't bother coming here because by the time you get here, we'll have already caught him.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she's like, I can drive there It'll be four hours or whatever. And they're like, we're like 40 minutes away. No, we're going to be there. We'll be. We'll, we got this. We
0: got it. Yeah. So um, while they're leading this SWAT raid on the house, Clarice Starling is talking to a friend of that first victim. You know, saying, oh, so I know she like tailored clothes. Do you know? Well, like, do you know if she had any relationships, men or and she's like, oh, no, you know, if, if she had, she would have told me. But the friend does give her the name of a woman that um, she, I guess, had done some like tailoring work with or for some old woman. So Clarice Starling's like, oh, I'll just I'll go talk to her. So as she is going to this house, they're cutting with the preparing for the SWAT raid on the house of the the victim or the on the house of the, the killer um, who they say his name is uh, James Gumb,
1: James Gumb.
0: And uh, actually after the woman's suit thing, they also cut to um, Buffalo Bill. And this is kind of another iconic moment, <laughs> but you know, he's like putting on makeup and jewelry and he has on a woman's scalp with hair and uh, he's saying in the mirror with like the close up on his lips that are like overlined and like this pink, pink lipstick on. And he's saying, It's like, it's so creepy. And yeah, he's like naked with just a scarf. And yeah, he he tucks himself in and kind of like poses for himself in the mirror. And it's just. Oh, it's so creepy. <laughs> it's like
1: no big deal doing that normally, but when it's a serial killer, there's an added level of just that just makes it really creepy.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that kind of contrasting this movie with Manhunter, you know, there there actually aren't that many scenes with with Buffalo Bill. Like you don't see much when they first start cutting to him. You know, you really only see his eyes, and then eventually you see him. Kind of kidnap Catherine Martin. There's the scene in the well. And then there's basically this scene and the the ending. Um, like Manhunter, I think you have a lot more development of Francis Dollarhide as the, the antagonist. Kind of, you know, but the other side of that is that you have a lot less Hannibal Lecter. I feel like in this movie, you have a lot more Hannibal Lecter and a lot less Buffalo Bill. And I think that's a good choice because the Buffalo Bill that you do see, you know, is especially creepy because they don't really do anything to make him seem like a human being you know he really does seem more like a monster
1: yeah
0: um whereas i feel like you know francis dollar and manhunter you see him like almost form a relationship with a person
1: although i guess buffalo bill does have a doggy that he cares for very much because um Catherine lures precious yes towards- that's in this scene too so it's
0: <laughs> yeah. um so like as he's yeah kind of doing doing his thang in the mirror you see catherine she ties like a little bone from dinner onto a string on a bucket and like throws it up and it's like calling precious
1: yeah she's gonna catch her a puppy yep yep and she does she does she does she She, um she catches precious and uh she starts uh threatening to buffalo bill that she's gonna break his oh his his little leg is broken or her her, precious's little leg is broken yeah Um, from the fall yeah i'll hurt hurt, that yep i'll hurt precious more Yep. you don't let me out and, and he's, he's like, like
0: freaking out uh, yeah about the dog um but before he can do anything the doorbell rings the doorbell so, like, rings. reminder i know it's a little confusing but this is all interspersed with you know the fbi swat team getting ready they have like a flower delivery and an fbi agent with a uh, thing of flowers never trust a flower delivery person nope don't is my my opinion after watching many movies using that trope Um, especially
1: if they pull up in a white van
0: especially if you uh have someone in your basement (laughs) (laughs) yeah um just never answer the door just never answer the door yeah so so you have that but then you also have um clarice you know going to this this old woman's house who had worked with um with that first victim and you know the doorbell Rings, you see the FBI agent hitting the doorbell. You see, um, the character of Buffalo Bill seeing the doorbell ring and being like, Oh crap, and like getting on clothes and going upstairs. But when he answers the door, it's Clarice, it's not the FBI. It's like, Oh dang,
1: yeah, uh, the old switcheroo, the
0: old switcheroo. So, um Things Move very quickly from there. They well, they show the FBI people breaking down the door, and the house is just completely empty. And Jack Crawford somehow has this like epiphany that um, Clarice might find this guy. Yeah, yeah. before they do. Yeah, he's like to Ohio. So, and she she goes into um, into the house, and
1: he's like sort of welcome. I mean, he's luring her in, but yeah. he's you know he. He's like, Oh, do you wanna come in? Uh, yeah. oh well I mean first she asked him like she asked if, him if he knew, if the, he knew girl. The, well, the woman. Yeah, the, if he knows the woman who how long owned has the house, he lived there. the
0: yeah. asked if he knows the girl and he's just like very suspicious. He's a suspicious dude. Um and he's like, Oh, well I think I have the number for her son. Why don't you come inside? And she like goes inside, and you could just see that something's wrong. And but what ultimately gives it away is that uh, one of the death's head moths flies upstairs and like lands on some spools of thread, and she sees it. And then it's like,
1: well, there's like a cross cut to like you see that his gun is in the kitchen, separate from yeah. Him. So he's like kind of retreating into the house. Yeah. Um. And then yeah, she sees the the moth. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, "There's a great that she just like." flips open her like jacket and unclips her gun yeah from the holster she doesn't take it out yet but she. this is it.
0: before she even sees the moth i think so it's like yeah. she's she's suspicious of this dude this dude is suspicious but he's like able to kind of sneak away as she gets the gun out to be like don't move and he goes down to the basement she follows him down it's just like super creepy i lived in an apartment that had a basement that looks like the basement in this movie
1: oh that's pretty freaky like what oh was it did did you have night goggles <laughs> night vision goggles
0: <laughs> I swear it had like a giant well with a cover on it and like weird little wooden rooms for like residents to store stuff in but it just looked like a murder basement. Um this is actually the first apartment I lived in in St. Louis.
1: Oh wow. Okay. Well be- before we completely jump into this the night vision he's got night night vision goggles on right so you see his first person perspective um and clearly can't see but earlier um i failed to mention when he's first doing the like ted bundy thing um we meet him through these night vision goggles so he's he's looking um looking through them um while he's uh
0: looking for catherine yeah like watching catherine yeah, exactly. kind of so arrive at her green, apartment
1: green vision or whatever yeah but um but but yeah so yeah that's...
0: that the effect is is really cool it um, is yeah so yeah she mystery. she goes into the basement i always love the contrast of um kind of ruth martin talking about her daughter on television being like she's such a sweet girl she's such a sweet girl and then when she's like in the well and um you know, Clarice shows up. She's like in the well. She still is precious. And Clarice is like, Oh my God, it's like, it's her. She's still alive. And she's like, You know, she can't stay there. She needs to find Buffalo Bill. Um, and Catherine's like, Don't leave me, you bitch. I'm <laughs> like, Oh my God. <laughs> That's what I would say if I was trapped in a well. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know? oh,
0: yeah. oh, man. Oh, um, man. But she's like going around to all these rooms. There's. A room full of moss. There's actually just moss everywhere. So you know, my own personal nightmare scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps worse than moss, perhaps not. Uh, in the bathroom, she finds the body of the woman who who owned the house, uh, dead in the bathtub, really just rotting and pudding. disgusting. Yeah, put it. Yeah, she's she's people putting. Yeah. Um. And of course, that's when the lights go out.
1: Yep. And that's yeah.
0: And that's when you see that um, Buffalo Bill is is wearing his night vision goggles and it's so creepy because he's just like watching her from like a foot away as you see her like trying to like feel around the room. And he's like um, reaching out to like pretend pet her or whatever. Yes. yes. He's like reaching out, like almost touching her um, a few times as she's like stumbling around in the absolute pitch black. Yeah. Um, and then you see, like from his point of view, still he like raises the gun up, but like when he pulls back the hammer and it makes that clicking noise, she hears it and spins around and just empties her gun into him, and he dies. He does. And the the bullets actually also go through the window, so the the room's light again, and you can kind of see it. It's, it's just...
1: like the death of Ooh. a vampire or something. It's like it's, yeah. it's really it's really creepy and cool. But um, yeah, when he falls on his back, his like. Hands curl up like oh. he's just like a little dried up crab or something. <laughs> yep, a vampire crab. Yeah, and so he has been vanquished.
0: He he has been vanquished. Um, and you know the next shot is really Clarice graduating. Yeah, so she's yep. yeah all of that happens, and now she's officially an FBI agent. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Um,
0: yes. and they're eating this really amazing cake that's like a big round cake with the. FBI seal on it. uh, Really made me want a piece of cake. Yeah. And uh, Jack Crawford comes in to congratulate her, and uh, then she receives a phone call. Hmm. So a phone call. A phone call. Yes. Whoever could that be? She goes out to the hallway to to get her phone call, and uh, the person on the other end asks her if the yeah asks her if the lambs have stopped screaming yet.
1: Have the lambs stopped screaming yet, Clarice?
0: Yeah, perfect. Uh, So he tells her, you know, don't bother tracing the call. I'm not going to be on for very long. And, you know, don't worry. I'm not going to come after you because the world is a more interesting place with you in it.
1: Yes. And he also has some plans. Um...
0: Yes, yes. He asks her, you know, he says, I won't go after you you don't go after me and she says she can't promise that and then he says i have to go because
1: i'm having an old friend for dinner and we see that uh dr chilton is there
0: yes he gets off a little plane i'm assuming that he's there actually in pursuit of Lecter. yeah i don't know why i i don't know that's just my impression but uh yeah the the end of the movie the ending shot is basically um you see lector with weird long fake hair dressed up uh he looks like, uh, what's his name from Jurassic Park? <laughs> Wearing like all, all Alan white. Grant. Yeah. A, a Alan little Grant, yes, he's in his Grant costume. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. But and not Sam Neill's face.
0: No, not Alan Grant. The one that wears all white with the little cane.
1: Oh, oh, Dr. Hammond.
0: Yes, yes. Okay, that it kinda makes kinda more sense. He kind not look like, just like Dr. Hammond. And then, Yeah, he puts on a little hat and he's got his little cane. He's going out, strolling, uh, following Chilton.
1: He spared no expense.
0: Yep. And the camera kind of like zooms up and then the end.
1: The end. The end. Yes. Hey, what a good movie.
0: Yes, absolutely perfect What a movie. great movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, this has been fun. I uh, The journey for me in this movie has, has been a long one, but uh, I, I love it.
0: I'm glad you like it now. Yes,
1: me too. Thanks for reintroducing me to it.
0: Ooh, anytime.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a fun one. Uh,
0: yeah. Hopefully you guys have liked this. Thank you again so much for supporting us on Patreon uh, for our episode i'm gonna let david choose that topic do you have any ideas floating around
1: i'm working on it
0: you're working on it all right well i think we'll do something similar so david will come up with a couple ideas we'll post about it in the patreon group and let let you guys give some feedback for what you'd like to hear from us
1: yep that's right happy february yes happy, happy February. Uh,
0: valentine's month
1: yes thank you for patroning us i mean patreoning us patrons you guys are awesome Yep. All right. So, as our time winds down, I just wanted to um, remind you all that death is but a door,
0: and time is but a window.
1: We'll be back.